are made to be followed. Rules are what keeps society in order, and order is good. Obey, don't question, don't resist. Follow the rules and everything will be okay. okay. Tonight, the rules are changing. Because tonight, we're going extreme. Everything you stand for will be crushed. I am proud of the United States Championship. Your match will be a Russian chain match. To embarrass your stupid country. It's not about the rules. It's about the revenge. Your potential that never will be. I'm going to take that giant trophy and I'm going to shove it down your throat. And you can believe that I enjoy keeping you down. My pleasure is going to be making you the most epic failure in a last man standing match. I play this game of human chess better than anybody. What if the authority couldn't help you? What if it was just you and me inside the steel cage for the championship? My stipulation, the RKO is banned. And Randy, the authority, always wins. Presents Extreme Rules. Then there was an advert for the Marine 4, which you've spoken about before. The Marine 4 Moving Target with the Miz and Summer Rae starring. God, it looked look good, didn't it? <laughs> I really thought, I thought hello. Well, we, we, have, we have had letters complaining that we didn't, in the end, review the Marine 4 at 5 and 6, so... Yeah, well, let's just uh, 5.1 on IMDb, which in fairness, no, that's not too bad. But yeah, don't recognise anyone else who's in it. In fairness, that's only about one point lower than the Kenneth Brenner directed and starring uh, Death on the Nile, which came out this year, which I watched last night, which is why I'm I'm to remember what the score was. Do you think it was better than the Marine 4? I don't know, because I haven't seen the Marine 4. What would be your guess? My guess is that the Marine 4 wouldn't have the problem that the Death in the Nile had, which is, let's be honest, Poirot was definitively played by David Suchet, not yeah. Kenneth Branagh. At least The Miz isn't going to suffer from that. I mean, I haven't seen the other Marines, so maybe he no. would do if I had, but I haven't. So. Yeah, I think David Suchet's in the Marine 4 as well. Yeah, well... <laughs> As Poirot, or just <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just turns out. Mes amis, mes amis. <laughs> oh. what a terrible impression of David Suchet's Poirot. <laughs> uh, 
you got it. You got it. I remember having this conversation with my mum a few years back. My mum used to watch that and Miss Marple, loads of them. And uh, I, I said, why does he speak French every now and then? It's really silly. And my mum said, I was in the books. I was like, cool. I'm happy now. I'm content. I'm content with that. But yeah, mes amis, mes amis. <laughs> You ask anyone, anyone, even people who haven't watched it, they're like, hang on, that's David Sushi. <laughs> from from Faro. <laughs> Absolutely magnificent. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this week we are back with WWE and their Extreme Rules pay-per-view from 2015. Joining me today is old man Sam Kerry. Alright Chuck. And also we have Matt Roberts. Evening gentlemen. So he gave us he gave us the salute but he forgot to speak at the same time. <laughs> there's, there's a reason behind that because I've now started to panic and I've just realised I've made a mistake which somebody did not so long ago. Oh, no, you haven't done no. that. What was the show this week? Extreme Rules 2015. Not according to my calendar, it wasn't. Oh, God. What have you watched? I've watched TNA Lockdown. Well, what are you oh. doing that for? We did, we recorded that last week, mate. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, no. What is on the schedule? I mean, why is no one reading the schedule? <laughs> just read the damn schedule. <laughs> Before I watch every show, I check the schedule to make sure I'm watching the right show. It, like literally five minutes before, just to be absolutely certain that I'm right in the I'm watching the right one. And you failed, Matt. You failed. <laughs> like the last time I checked, I like wrote down whatever my name was next to for like a month in advance. So and, unless it's changed over or I missed it or what, but oh dear. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know what we do now. Can you remember anything from Extreme Rules 2015? <laughs> <laughs> Give me two minutes to Google it. I can have a quick look. Not off the top of my head, no. Well, otherwise you might just have to dance sexily for us while me and Tinky talk about it. <laughs> Extreme Rules 2015. Dance. Yes, that's it. Lovely. Boogie Wonderland. <laughs> oh, I, dun, I love dun, the way it's moving. Not a clue. Wow. I don't think we're going to be in a position where this will last long enough for you to watch the whole thing live like Tom <laughs> no. did a few <laughs> weeks ago. So uh, maybe, oh. we just, maybe we just let you go and we'll, me, and old, me and old man will yeah. take this as a two, double header for the first time ever. Oh. What an epic fail by me. I do apologise, <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah. Oh, see, I had to watch that shit TNA show for nothing. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try and edit that in to last week's yeah. episode. <laughs> Please do, because I'll tell you now, it was shit. Give us your rundown. Give us your overall thoughts on lockdown. Because obviously we we, we covered it last week. It was yeah. last week's episode. So yeah. give us your overall review and your marks out of 10 for lockdown last uh, 2009. Oh, OK. Um, overall show, eh, it, it was, I, I'd say, kind of by the numbers is probably the best way to describe it. It was, it, it was just really bland. There, there was nothing massively good on there probably if i'm going to say anything positive about the show probably the best thing about it was the team 3d beer money match which i tell you what i couldn't remember at the time but bloody hell did they have a good tag team division for a while that match itself felt like it wasn't like the best match i've ever seen but for the crowd they had that match in front of 
They loved it. And you could tell for them, that was one of the best matches that they probably thought, wow, I've never seen anything like that. So that crowd probably loved it. But the rest of it, Matt Morgan Abyss, what the friggin' hell was that about? That was, no, the less said about that, the better. The the women's triple threat, they tried, but uh, that wasn't anything potentially memorable. Mick Foley and Sting, God bless the both of them. But neither one of them had any business being in that main event at all. It was awful. It, it wasn't great. Um, yeah, show overall, probably about a four, maybe four and a half. And like I said, the tag team, uh, the, the beer money Team 3D matches, probably the best thing on the show. With Team 3D being the, the MVPs of the show, I'll say. We don't accept half half marks, but seeing as you're not officially in that review, even though you thought you were, four and a half actually matches almost perfectly our average rating which is 4.3 so there you go wasn't wasn't far off matt stick around for just a moment actually because i realized that this is the first chance we've had to speak to you since your american adventure for wrestlemania 38 and your related activities of course so what we are that was going to be my topic for this week so there is something you can do for us this week and that is engage us in some talk about the weekend and the week i don't know how how long were you there for i was there for a week was i was there in dallas for a week yeah when did you get there? When, what day did you arrive? We got there on uh, flew on what was it? Flew Wednesday morning, and we got there because Texas is six hours behind. We arrived in Texas around about twelve, one o'clock in the afternoon. Cool. And then you went home what Wednesday? The next Wednesday, or the we next went Tuesday? home the following Wednesday, and then got back in London at eight o'clock in the morning. So remind us of your itinerary for that for that week. What did you do? Okay, so um, the itinerary that we had and pretty much stuck to was when we got there. First day was just get the you know explore the land see we'll see see what downtown dallas had to offer which as it turns out is, is some nice bars so did all that was really great um the day after that that would have been the, the thursday is where we had my memory is so bad with this it's unreal yeah i mean it's like you watch the wrong shows and then turn up to the wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you twist that knife Honestly, I've got like just the worst memory in the world. I what did we do on the third? Yeah, on the Thursday, I think it was. You had a wank all day. <laughs> yeah, that, that that pretty much was it. Just did that. I mean, I, I remember the the first shows we went to. We went to the GCW Bloodsport show, right? Um, which was an absolute nightmare to find. Like for, for for people who've been to Texas and know how big the damn place is, and and this is and in fact this is going to be a direct message to gcw for future references right because my friend had the ticket and had all the information for the event printed on the ticket and for venue they literally just put i think it was fair park or fairways park or something like that and they literally just put fair park dallas now you think that would be enough to get you to the venue fair park dallas is freaking massive so it's the equivalent of just saying London. <laughs> you know, your your event is in London. It's like, oh, okay, great. So told the Uber driver to take us there. He was like, where do you want to be dropped off? We were like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so we, we just had to get out uh, and just randomly tried to find it, which with two minutes to spare until the show started, we managed to get there. So that was good. Following the, the Bloodsport show, which... I've never seen anything like the Bloodsport show. It, it was phenomenal. We did uh, WrestleCon, uh, which was good for my friend Kieran because he's never done any type of Comic-Con, WrestleCon type of thing before. So that was cool for him. Super cool event. Literally just seeing everybody walk around, which 
the one thing that was quite funny is that there's a lot of wrestlers that I didn't recognize who would just be walking past and then I'd be like, I'm sure I've seen them somewhere before. <laughs> My friend would have to correct me, basically going, yes, it is who you think it is. And the amount of times we did this, I was like, ah, so it is. So, so Matt, Matt, one cheap. one thing one thing to stop you there, right? So I, this is something I'm really interested in because I've seen also that you're quite excited about, I think there's a WrestleCon event in December or something in, in, in Cardiff, possibly. Is that right? The, yes, there's going to be a Wales Comic Con in, um, well, they, they do it every year. There's Wales Comic Con in Telford in England, ironically. Wales Comic Con in England, but whatever, in November. And Johnny Gargano was the first wrestler announced for it. So I was yeah. like... Yeah, what I was going to say, though, this has been a recurring theme that I've noticed with you, Matt. So I, I get the impression that you go, you are more psyched by comic cons and, and places where you can meet the wrestlers than actually watching the wrestlers. Now, I... I'm not really a big fan of anything where you meet people. I don't really understand it. So I was wondering whether you could explain to me the draw of meeting wrestlers. I ju- it just doesn't really appeal. And I'll go as far as say this. When, one time when I was still working for WrestleTalk, one of the first people that m- that was potentially going to be a guest on the show whilst I was in the studio was James Storm. Okay. And I remember one of the cameramen was absolutely going out of his head, excited about meeting James Storm or the potential to meet James Storm. And I was like, why are you so excited? I don't, I don't get it at all. I just, I'm, I'm not at all, like it doesn't at all appeal to me. I mean, other than meeting, I mean, to be honest, I don't like meeting people in general. So maybe that's the problem. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just don't get it. So yeah, just to be okay. to understand the appeal. Well, for me, a lot of it is, I, I, I like the picture opportunity because I like to be able to, particularly when I look, you know, if I look at like my Twitter page or something like that, or just like my, my photo album, I just like looking back through and thinking, huh, that was that event where I, you know, met such and such or talked to such and such. That's cool. Tick that off the life goal list. What's the next one? You know, and I, there's just so many random ones I've got through the years of attending all like these comic cons and such. So like, you know, I, I've met like, you know, Spike from Buffy at the same year I met Trish Stratus for the first time. And it, it's just, I look back and I just think these are so random, but particularly like Comic-Cons and things like that, because their they guard is let down a little bit more. So they're much more open to having, to be honest, like a real conversation. WWE meet and greets, I'm not a big fan of. I've been to them before and they're not the best. I don't necessarily begrudge them for it because at the end of the day, if you've got a line of hundreds of people, it's going to limit your time to speak to a person. So, you know, it's not going to be much more than, hi, how are you? Sign my stuff and off you go. I'm much more, I'd like to be able to talk to them. And if I can get a picture, that's great. And Johnny Gargano was one of the ones I've met there, who for me is probably one of my favorites over the last couple of years. So I just, I really wanted to be able to meet him. Just went to tell him that. And the line that the guy had as well was the biggest line for anybody of WrestleCon, second to John Moxley. Now, the fact that the line was going all around the room, and he's still like one of the first things I said to him, you know, when I sort of approached him, was like, "Look, I, I know you've, you know, you've got loads of people there, so I'll be as quick as I can." And he just stopped me and went, "Look, don't worry about that." He said, "Look, you know, you've waited just the same as everybody else. Happy to talk to you as long as you want." And straight away, I thought, you know what? What a nice guy. You know, because he really did have a huge line of people waiting. So don't get me wrong. I did take a little bit more time to talk to him than, oh, than I So told. you basically, what you're saying is you took the piss. And you mucked <laughs> off all those poor people that have been waiting. You fucking cunt. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, like, I could have talked to him for ages, but I thought, well, you can't do that, can you? So I talked to him a little bit more than I did plan on, but, you know, he was cool with it. So I was like, why not? And, you know, it's like having having a chat, you know, just talking to one of your favorite wrestlers about some of your favorite wrestling matches, which for me happened to feature him. And, you know, he was, he was doing a poll with fans as well. Like he was literally asking people, what do you think I should do next? You know, should I go back to WWE? Should I go to AEW? And we had a conversation about that, which was which was fascinating. So he, he was just a super cool guy. Um, I met Christian. Christian was also a really great guy. I had a good conversation with him. Who else did I meet? And Scarlett Bordeaux as well, who was also very nice. And I'm not going to lie, she's incredibly hot, which is one of the reasons, yes, okay, I did want to be able to meet her as well. So in many respects, then, it's, it's kind of a collection type thing you're collecting the people that you've met do you know i'm I'm collecting experiences is probably the way i'd word it so what was the rest of your um itinerary sorry after the uh wrestlecon that's right so we did wrestlecon then we did ring of honor as supercard of honor which i am so beyond happy that we did that show because one i've never seen ring of honor live before and, and i always wanted to and what a show to to, to, be, to be able to have seen that FTR Briscoe's match. Bloody hell. Within seconds of, you know, them all coming in the ring, the crowd just told you straight away, yeah, you, you're watching something important. So, like, straight away, I was, like, I was geared up. I was ready for it. It was, it was such a good match. All the way through to the main event, you know, with Samoa Joe returned. And I legit got dizzy as hell because I stood up so quickly that I literally had a head spin. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I was like, it's Samoa Joe. Like that Ring of Honor show was just so good. And it was ages out of town. But you know what? It was still worth it to be able to get there and see it. And my friend was keeping an eye on SmackDown at the same time. And when I learned that Brock and Roman Reigns weren't even on the last Smacked before WrestleMania, I just went, you know what? We made the right call. So <laughs> Ring of Honor was there. And then we did Mania Night 1 and Night 2, both excellent shows. I personally thought the Night 1 was better. I, I think I've seen it go to slightly Night 2 from what I've seen. I don't know. It, it depends on who you ask. I don't know about you guys. I haven't finished watching Night 2, and I don't think I will until we review it on this podcast in 10 years or whatever. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't seen it. I, I've, I saw Night 1. I enjoyed night one and that was the thing I wanted to watch was Austin's return. And that was really it. That was the only thing I was that excited about. And when I say I watched it, I watched it with an eye on it, but not really watching it as I normally would, because I literally, we just had, you know, our baby had just arrived. Yeah. So I was, I, I think during the majority of it, I was looking after my baby and then not really paying attention. So, uh, and then night two, as I said, I got sort of two matches in, and I was intending to watch the rest of it, but then you delay it enough and you know what's happened. Everybody's kind of moved on and you start to think, well, what's the point? I'm not even really that sure I'm that bothered by it. I've watched most of it. I, I haven't watched the women's tag match on night two. I think there's something else I haven't watched, but I thoroughly enjoyed everything I watched. I've got to be honest. I thought the Pat McAfee-Austin Theory match was sensational. Because it was exactly what it needed to be. It was fun. And that's what uh, I was having this conversation with Tommy and also friend of the show, Forty. It was just fun. That's what I think. And it felt like they were kind of trying to send a message to some of the people that are trying to maybe take some of their audience to say, like, this is how you fucking do it. 150,000 people over two nights. And this is how you lay out a show that's just good from start to finish. It was really good. 
Yeah, I mean, what, what was crazy for me out of the whole two nights is that arguably one of the, certainly in the top top three or four matches of the entire two nights, I still can't believe it was Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. Which I think if I'd watched that at home, I probably would have had a very different opinion of it. But you know, watching it live, I mean, it, I'm not going to, I mean, it was wacky as hell, but it, it was just, it was just so much fun. It was one of the most fun things of the two nights. And that as well as I'm probably one of the biggest Cody Rhodes fans going at the moment, just for how awesome that return was, you know, when he came back on Raw as well and his entrance and promo, which we went to see at Raw after. Cody Rhodes is the man as far as I'm concerned at the moment. Absolutely love him. The noise when he came up through the trapdoor for want of a better phrase, was unreal. Don't it you was... go through that trap door <laughs> because there's something down, down there. there. It was Austin-esque, the pop. And I was just like, fucking hell. And then you see him, I mean, I mean he's, he's having a match with Seth Rollins. He'd get a good one out of me, I think. But it was a great match. And yeah, just thoroughly enjoyed it. And then uh, I wanted to ask you about this. What about Austin then? <laughs> Do you know Austin goes about saying, I think you, you couldn't go anywhere from the second we landed in Texas to, you know, anywhere without seeing an Austin 316 shirt. Mm. It, it was evidently clear the entire time we were there, that's who the draw was. That That's who people were there for. And do you know what? It, it was awesome. It was everything that it should have been. I mean, if anything, I mean, the amount of people who were just almost cringing when he did the suplex on the concrete floor, like, ah, what the hell are you doing? The fact that he still did that was great. I mean, it, it was funny because in the arena, we, we could hardly hear over the noises promo. So I had to go back and watch it. But that was incredible. When he came back for night two as well, th- that was equally as good. Because, well, I say nobody expected it. Well, for the most part, nobody did. So that was unexpected. So that made it awesome as well. And, and it very much was the, the sending people home happy, which was interesting on the second night because the way the show ended, I'm, I'm not so sure people went home as happy with what the result was. And mm. I, I think a lot of people were expecting The Rock. And literally the buzz in the arena was, you know, The Rock's mother was at ringside. And they were like, ooh, maybe he'll be here. And I, I think when he didn't show, that kind of left people feeling a little bit flat. Not too bad because, like I said, you know, the whole two nights was excellent. I'm not going to lie. But, yeah, just that little little bum note just to... Just to leave on the second night, I think. Well, that's just typical fans kind of getting themselves overhyped for something that has not been advertised in any way, shape or form. So why they would be so excited for that, I don't know. And so what else did you do after WrestleMania? Was there was there any more events? Um, like I said, after WrestleMania, we did uh, we did Raw. Uh, we did go to Raw, which was good. For a Mania, you know, for a post uh, WrestleMania Raw, yeah, it, it was okay. Um, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't bad by any stretch. You know, it was uh, it was enjoyable enough. I mean, you know, Cody coming out straight away to kick things off. I mean, that's again, that's after you know the, seeing him at Mania Night One. That's who I wanted to see. Could have done with a little bit more from Roman. Um, a little bit disappointed with that. I mean, literally came out for a very brief promo and went and was like, oh, okay, never mind. The <laughs> Ezekiel stuff. With Kevin Owens was was kind of funny, um, so that, that that was quite entertaining. The one person I felt slightly bad for was actually Edge, who got quite the not the good reception in the not in the sense of the you know the the heel heat reception, just the 
this is really boring shit and we don't want to see it. So the stuff with him and Priest, at least to some of the people in the arena, was not working. And I mean, for me personally, I know it's a bit early to say, but it's not it's not clicking for me at the moment either. I quite like the idea of the Damien Priest thing. I, again, I haven't seen anything. I watched some highlights of the Raw after Mania. But the th- I don't know why you'd debut that at Mania. I know it's a way for AJ Styles to lose and not look weak in a way, but it was a cracking little match they had. And I did kind of feel I was like, oh, I was kind of taken away from it a bit. Why not have AJ Styles win at Mania clean? And then the next night, Edge brings Damian Priest into the fray, knowing mm. now that he needs him in order to be yeah. AJ Styles in the future. Like that, yeah. that's as logical as it gets for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that probably would have been the better idea. But do you know what? It's, it's one of those things that... What I will say, and in all fairness, I, I know you guys, you know, said this to me before I went, and I agree with you completely, and I, I feel even more strongly to say it now, that if you have not been to a WrestleMania weekend, you owe it to yourself to go. If you are remotely interested in professional wrestling, which we'd like to think you are, I mean, <laughs> odds are that you are, especially listening to this podcast, you owe it to yourself to give it a go. It was so much fun. Even the worst matches weren't enough to, you know, to, to make the weekend bad or anything like that. These things that I didn't expect to like, and I did. Um, I'll give an example. Minoru Suzuki at the Bloodsport show. I literally felt as if I was in the presence of royalty <laughs> when Minoru Suzuki came out. And I'm not massively a huge Japanese wrestling fan, but I literally felt like bloody hell this is somebody important. Yeah. So just to be able to see him, like I said, the WrestleCon event, all the people I met there. I, I met fans that I talked to, chatted with. Hopefully some of them have decided to listen to this podcast. You know, there's loads of things in Texas, you know, went to loads of cool bars. It, it was just such a fantastic time. I mean, probably the, the only slight downer of the entire week was the flight on the way was awful we did have some bad turbulence for about about 30 to 40 minutes and a friend of mine was because he wanted an aisle seat sat a couple of seats in front of me i was sat next to another gentleman and actually simon miller from what culture uh, who was on the on the aisle seat and there was a couple of people him included who didn't enjoy the turbulence and it, <laughs> it wasn't the nicest experience so just to to calm ourselves down we just chatted some wrestling for the rest of the flight just to try and keep everybody happy good stuff so matt one one last thing and very quickly uh, i think you've given us your low light which was the uh was the plane ride from hell um but uh what was your highlight very quickly what was your highlight of the week we talk talking match specifically or just in general? anything you want anything you want could be an entrance could be a a walk down some, a high, some a high food street. yeah anything. <laughs> it probably would have been food if it had been us, us going so yeah do you know, that, that, I tell you, the food, the food is in my top three. Do you know, I'll, 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 in no particular order, Cody Rhodes' entrance, I'm going to go with four now, Steve Austin, meeting Johnny Gargano, and the nicest chicken sandwich I've ever had at this restaurant. I want to say it was called Henry's in downtown Dallas. So if anybody listened, Henry's downtown Dallas is where you get a chicken sandwich from. Awesome. It's like a return of Tom's travel travel man yeah. that, we, that we had towards the beginning of the <laughs> podcast uh, in those early episodes. Matt, thank you for joining us today. I was going to apologise for letting you go early, but then I thought, no, fuck <laughs> you. It was your fucking fault. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was expecting uh, right, you could fuck off now. Yeah, yeah. Off you go. Fuck off. Get out. <laughs> we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. I'll catch up with you soon, gentlemen. All the best. Right, old man. 
What the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> I don't know. They literally just have to watch a show. And the two people who've done this, oh, they only have to do it every other week. It ain't even that hard. Sort your lives out. Right. Before we get into A today properly, just a quick reminder of our social media locations. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and most common of all, Twitter at RWRPodUK. And we are today covering WWE Extreme Rules 2015. Oh man, I assume you've watched it because otherwise I'm on my own. Hang on, 2015? <laughs> oh no, I've done 2014. The main event of 2014, I believe, is Daniel Bryan versus Kane in Daniel Bryan's one pay-per-view main event after winning the World Ch- Championship. And then of course having to retire well because he was injured for a year yeah and uh he misses this show doesn't he because he's not cleared yes which commentators mentioned yeah so he's obviously been won the title at wrestlemania 30 then had his solitary defense against kane at that extreme rule show then got injured and was out for nearly a year came back for wrestlemania 31 won the uh, Intercontinental title in the ladder match in the opener of that show and then was injured again and then had to retire like a year later and uh, came back eventually. But um, yeah, dark days for Daniel Bryan. When they mentioned it, because that was in my head, it was obviously post WrestleMania 31 and I didn't think Daniel Bryan would be on it. Like how he'd come back, he'd had a neck injury and a concussion. They were like, you know what? You know what the best spot for him is? Ladder match. (laughs) Yeah, got to be in it. <laughs> absolutely crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. So let's start with our expectations for this show. Old man, what what did you? What were you thinking you were going to get? You know what? WrestleMania 31 is a bit hazy for me. So the main memories are Cena beating Rusev, being disappointed with that. Uh, Undertaker beating Bray Wyatt. Obviously the cash in at the end with Seth Rollins. And that was the main thing in my head was that that then led to the authority storyline. So I was looking forward to pretty much everything on this card, apart from what I imagined to be a lot of shenanigans in the main event. And then as the show goes on, I'm like, oh, there's going to be some shenanigans, aren't there? But apart from that, like you're talking like I was anticipating 15, 20 minutes at the end of the show. It's going to be a three hour show. I was quite up for this actually don't, don't know why but i was like come on let's be having you it's a good job that you were up for it because you may not have watched it and then i would have been on a hair on my own today yeah. so that would have been that would have been a real problem yeah so for me funny enough you should mention wrestlemania 31 because i remember the wrestlemania 31 because it was the one that i didn't watch with you guys because i was mm. working for wrestle talk and i was in london because we were taping the day after wrestlemania 31 we did a wrestlemania special so i had to be in the in london anyway that the night before and there was a big party at the walkabout so i watched wrestlemania 31 there now what i got out of that show was this sounds obvious because it is obvious but your perception of a show can change so much based on where you're watching it or how you're watching the show so i imagined myself watching this show with you guys and certainly the reports back that i got from tom was is that everybody hated it everyone thought wrestlemania 30 was 31 was terrible my experience of wrestlemania 31 was quite good because it was amongst lots of people and i think perhaps their level of expectation and excitement because they'd specifically bought tickets to go to this party to watch it was much higher than a bunch of kind of jaded wrestling fans who maybe tune in once a year to watch wrestlemania and then saw what they saw and what i thought about afterwards was, was probably my own personal view was i was somewhere between where you guys had been and where this the people at that party was but what my expectations for this show was is that we're going to get a lot of fallout obviously from WrestleMania 31 but also that the authority was going to feature heavily and that was my big concern because for me the authority and the storyline around the authority which ran for about 
SummerSlam 2013 right through to about the same time in 2015, so SummerSlam 2015, maybe even a little bit later, in fact, was one of the worst wrestling storylines I've ever been witness to for for multiple reasons. First of all, it just made every wrestler in the company look weak. They, They all had their legs cut from underneath them because Stephanie or Triple H or Kane on occasion, sometimes even Vince, would just come in tell them what to do and they would be they would be cowed by these kind of office people and you're like these are supposed to be tough guys and tough tough girls you know they're not supposed to be like worried about what some guy in a suit or some woman in a suit is telling them uh, about their job and so that was rubbish it was also they just talked about what was best for business all the time and i don't think wrestling should ever make that a part of its storylines what's good or bad for business that should never factor into the on-screen canon thirdly it should have ended at survivor series 2014 when the authority were beaten by team cena in a great survivor series match which looked like it was going to make dolph ziggler as well because he kind of got the final pin for it was just a masterful piece of work that match but then they brought them back six weeks later after kind of expelling them as a consequence of that match yeah just constant problems for me just a really really and just all the the time kind of like every single week on raw smackdown and then on pay-per-views is all you got was the authority of the authority of the authority and the stage they were at at this point was seth rollins is now champion and that's their selected champion for the time um which they already done one revolution revolution does that make sense probably not (laughs) one revolution of this storyline with randy orton in that role 18 months before so yeah that was my only concern was that we were heading deep into authority territory yeah and i and this is when we get to the main event we'll talk about but this is prevalent and it's also through the show as well i can remember kane being a big part of it and j and j security and as we got further into the show there's a couple of promos and like to your point Triple H is kind of like talking trying to get Kane to stand down and blah 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 and I was like oh I know exactly where this main event's going and in particular and I'd kind of forgotten that they'd done the whole thing with Orton but because Orton was in the main event I'm like this is a guy who can get beat and there'd be a load of shenanigans around it and it not affect his standing in the company or with any other fans. So when I saw it was them two, I was a bit like, oh, this might be a bit ropey. But like I said, apart from that, oddly up for it. Good. So what we'll do is we'll go into our talking points as usual. And I'll throw to you, old man. I'll give you the opportunity to go first. Unless you're unless you're struggling for something, then... Uh... Well, well, I'm not struggling for one thing. I'm struggling between many, Ooh. to be honest. Because I, uh, I found a few little things in here. So I was going to go for one that was going to be reasonably short. But given that it's only us two, we may as well cut to uh, what I think is the best match the big show has ever had <laughs> yes so he's in a last man standard match against roman reigns roman reigns is another one who i think the big show's kind of involved with the authority mm. but that's kind of not really touched upon apart from the crowd saying you sold out and the way that he's acting because he is having the time of his fucking life in this match and in this role I watched it and it was borderline frustrating because I'm watching it and I'm like this is what you've got this is what they've not used correctly for all these years up to this point a man that you could tell he was just motivated and he wanted to do what he was doing he was having a good time with it and on the flip to that what I found astonishing was Roman Reigns just how deer in the headlights he is he does a 
promo earlier in the show and his eyes he's like you can tell he's not got that confidence that in particular like now in particular but that he'd have even a couple of years later you can kind of see he's not sure of himself there's little bits during the match where he's very clearly very comfortable but yeah it's really interesting and probably a really good thing for the match that the big show was so up for it because it's just Really good. So there's a there's a thing through the pay per view. So this was going to be my talking points: the crowd and their obsession with tables. <laughs> God. In the first match, we want tables. Chicago Street Fight. Bugger off. Not interested. The second match, Dolph Ziggler Sheamus. We want tables again. <laughs> and in the chain match, so between Cena and Rusev, there's another one. And uh, quite early on in this match, it starts off what I was hoping this wouldn't be: just kind of like just running into each other, basically knocking each other over, doing the classic Roman. Reigns can't knock over the big show. And then uh, Roman Reigns goes outside the ring and he goes to pull, out, pull a table out. And the crowd are, oh, they're spread off. <laughs> and to be fair to them, there's a thing in the main event that I wasn't particularly pleased with, but the crowd are up for this on this show. Not always the most well-guided audience. <laughs> like I said, in terms of tables and some of the other stuff, they chant, but they are up for it. But then Big Show comes out, wallops Roman Reigns, puts the table back under the ring. Yeah. I know it was just, it was from then, it just kind of flipped and you could see how much fun he was having mm. and how much fun they were having. And I just thought, it was great everything made sense in this match and in last month's standard matches it never makes sense <laughs> so you get the bit early on where they're just kind of like Big Show's like count it just telling the ref to count and he's never going to be him then you get a load of near counts as they do but they're all just really well done it's really well put together Big Show does a second rope splash <laughs> yeah which, I mean, he's never done. He goes up to the top rope and he kind of half-assed goes up to the top rope and Roman Reigns pushes the rope and he sells it and he's selling it and he's like, ah, and it pops Roman Reigns. So you can see Roman Reigns laughing just for a split second on the camera. And this is just after the Big Show. So Roman Reigns had set up a table. Big Show just breaks the table. He just smashes the table with his fists. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then you get, then they get into the big spots. So you've got Big Show being slammed off the top rope, Ric Flair-esque, which again, can't ever remember seeing. He then chokeslams Roman Reigns through a couple of tables that are set up over the top rope, which looks incredible. Like, absolutely amazing. And then Big Show does this thing where he sets the steps up next to the announce table, and he then clears everything off the announce table, picks up a little notepad. It's a little notepad, (laughs) but it looks absolutely tiny in his massive hands. And he just looks at it and goes, Big Show needs to lose weight? Why why would you write that? Um, JBL goes... Yeah, why, Michael? Why? And he's like, that's your notepad. <laughs> and I was like, everyone's having the time of their life. And then what you get is you get with the, um, so there's a little bit, a little bit more back and forth goes on. But then the reason that the steps are set up, so Big Show climbs onto the outside. It's a stronghold announce table because he stood on it and Roman Reigns at one point, And he's obviously planning on choke slamming him. Roman Reigns gets off and then goes around and then does his little spear. So he does his little thingy, which the Big Show had mocked earlier in the match, which had me almost crying with laughter <laughs> because he's all in. But it's really crap as well. But then he's 
speared through the Spanish announce table and then the American announce table is then chucked on top of Big Show. And it was brilliant. It was just great fun. Like I said, talking about it now, it's definitely the Big Show's best match. And also what they had kind of running through it and the whole angle for it was effectively that the Big Show wanted to make Roman Reigns the biggest failure in WWE history. It's a nothing match. But because they added that, there's just this nice little storyline. And it also, I think, because of the way that the Big Show performed, it really meant something that he'd won. And the crowd show it at the end, where this is the kind of thing I imagined them shitting on, a Chicago crowd shitting on. But they do not. They are balls deep in it, and they love the end. It's just great stuff. It made me want to watch more Big Show matches, but then I was like, hang on, this is very much a one-off. <laughs> let's not get too excited. Yeah, let's not let's not go crazy. I, it's a shame, actually, that Matt's not here, because I'd love to get his perspective on this, simply because I am in total agreement with you, old man. Mm. I was so shocked by how much I enjoyed this match. I thought, fucking 2015 Roman Reigns against 2015 Big Show. Roman Reigns, who's not yet found his thing. Big Show, who is the big show and i thought oh this is going to be dreadful it's going to be one of the main matches on the show so it's going to be given a lot of time it's involving the authority in some way because the big show's kind of with them and i just thought this is going to be terrible and like you for the first couple of minutes i was a bit like yeah this is what i've been expecting and then exactly the same thing as you pop me which was big show putting the table back under the ring and i just thought a what a great way to like get heat because the fans Mm. have been going mad for tables all night but also what a great way to get me on side which is to say no fuck off we're not having any tables they're bollocks get get them under the ring and big show saying i'm i'm the giant i don't need i don't need a a weapon i don't need a table and yeah from then on i was just completely in it in it you know i was just it was really really fun really really good i really enjoyed that just that aspect of it it happened a couple of times then he just said big show smashes up the table which i thought was great i i was absolutely blown away by how much i enjoyed this i mean it was quite wonderful dimensional what they actually did but they did it well they they saved a lot of big spots for this big show kind of took a lot of stuff he did the great couple of spears on the uh on the announce tables and then the ending where roman reigns turns up the 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 american announce table puts it on top of uh big show to end it i thought was just a really kind of quite innovative quite interesting way of ending the match especially after big show got up after being speared through the the spanish announce table previously and not only that it's a last man standing match i hate last man standing matches yeah me too was really really decent yeah really really decent much much better than i could ever have possibly imagined it would be i imagine at the time and i think this is going to be something that's a recurring theme for me i probably hated this match at the time because a i didn't think roman reigns was ready for the position they were putting him in and also i felt like i i think i've said this on the show previously but i felt like at wrestlemania 31 the end should have been paul Heyman turning on uh, brock to go with roman reigns at that point because obviously everyone was booing him anyway he was like getting those that sort of negative reaction for a baby face so i just thought wwe should have leaned into it then gone straight with it and had roman reigns come out of the wrestlemania as champion but as a heel i I even felt like they should have got roman reigns and seth rollins together as a duo at at the top of the card if you like to be like Mm. almost like the um two-man power trip was for austin and triple h but with this the t- Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins so but they, they didn't go in that direction so I probably hated that aspect of it I hated everything to do with the authority so I imagine that the distance in time from the show made this a lot better than it would have been at the time I'm sure at the time I would have been like oh 
God, awful. I, I couldn't agree more with that. The prospects are watching. Uh, so it goes just shy of 20 minutes. Yeah. A 20-minute match between Roman Reigns and Big Show doing anything it would have just been like, no, absolutely not. It's the kind of match I would have probably skipped, to be honest, and just thought, I ain't watching that shit. <laughs> I ain't watching that shit. But, hey, I'm glad I didn't skip it. And that's the thing. Matt's missed out. Yes. He's not watched it. Silly sod. Silly sod. So you kind of, you have kind of stolen my talking points. That's what I wanted to talk about as well, was Roman Reigns and Big Show. So why don't we instead um, turn our attentions to the Chicago Street Fight, Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper, which opens the show. Now, similarly to the Big Show Roman Reigns match, I was a bit like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't really know about this. We've discussed Dean Ambrose and John Moxley's WWE run in particular on here before, and none of us are really that big fans of his run in WWE. And I think that's partially because he wasn't that motivated, and I think he wasn't motivated because WWE were just not very good at utilizing him well and, and kind of giving him a serious sort of side that he he really needed and then they did something with a little bit of creativity a little bit a little bit of imagination so it's a chicago street fight and the official time of the match is in fact 56 minutes and 10 seconds <laughs> and that's because they have effectively a seven eight minute match in front of the crowd that then goes out into the backstage they have a little fight backstage and then uh, luke harper tries to escape in a car dean ambrose dives through the window of the car and then the car speeds off and out of the arena and the show then continues for two matches before they then come back to the arena in a car in the middle of another promo and they fight back into the ring and then the match ends with Dean Ambrose getting the victory over Luke Harper in the end unfortunately my notes for that are in a completely different place to the to the match notes because of this situation so I haven't got the exact details of how it happened but I just thought I've got time for this I got a lot of time for this because they've used and they don't there's a there's a time later in the show where they do the opposite of this but what they've done here is they they've used the rules of the match to just come up with something a little bit silly yes yeah it is a bit silly but it's still fun it's fun they they go off they do their little thing and then they come back in the middle of a new day promo with renee young there's a sort of sense of I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Kind of, there's some, it's a little bit off the cuff. It's a little bit kind of impromptu. It's, it's got the kind of feel that Raw used to have back in the Attitude Era, where you kind of feel like anything can happen, but it's still logical what does happen. It's not like just something out of left field. These two guys have just driven off, still fighting, and then they come back, and they're still fighting when they come back, and then they finish their match in the ring, which is the only place they're allowed, apparently, to finish the match, is with a pinfall or submission in the ring. So they can r- fight wherever they want. There's no count outs. There's no disqualification. So the match can't end just because they've driven off. The match has to continue. Of course, that makes sense. And then when they come back, they can only they can only finish the match in the ring. I thought this was a very nice touch in amongst this show. I did as well. A bit like you said. I said, Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper. <laughs> I was a bit like, oh. But then there was the, oh, it's a Chicago street fight. Gonna get, <laughs> could, could get a bit ugly, this. And then there was the, well, it's probably only going to go eight or nine minutes anyway. And um, yeah, just what they did was just, they, we talked about this a couple of times, like, they maximised everything they could have got out of what is a completely nothing match. Mm. Like it's, well, I say it's a completely nothing match. It's quite a nice thing because Luke Harper power bombs Dean Ambrose through a ladder at Mania, effectively costing him his title. And I just thought, you know what? At least there's something. Yeah. And we've talked about this many times in recently where there isn't or there is something. I was like, that's something. And I also, so during this match, so you've got Michael Cole, JBL and The King 
on commentary. My words, when I raise it to them, it bugger me in my notes. <laughs> and uh, Ambrose comes out, and then Luke Harper comes out with this great Titantron, which is just a load of eyes. And uh, they meet in the aisle. So Ambrose goes out, and then the King just starts talking about Chicago traffic. And I'm like, oh, fuck it, really? Like, we're like three minutes in, and I already <laughs> want to peel my eyes off. But I thought they were actually pretty good, this commentary team. And they, uh, JBR, I think it is, says when they come back, they're like, hang on. So when they left, Luke Harper was driving. And when they've come back, Dean Ambrose is driving. So what's <laughs> happened there? And then they were speculating about what they'd been doing around the city. And then they were like, oh, it's probably best we don't find out, actually. I just thought it was all it was all just fun, wasn't it? Mm. It was all just fun. And I was all for it. And there's a lot of that on this show, actually. There's a lot of fun. Well, I was worried, see, because early on in the commentary, they refer to the weapons that they use. I think they use a kendo stick in this one as toys. They refer to them as toys oh. because they don't want to call them weapons. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be, oh, it's going to be like that. It's going to be like that, you know. It's going to be really shit. <clears throat> and then just felt like it fitted what they then did because they did this silliness. And they, you know, the only thing I've got to be honest, the only thing that I wish they had done is gone a little a step further. Right. Which is they could have done exactly what they did here in this opening bit. And then instead of them coming back in the middle of a promo the first time, they could have had them come back one time before in the middle of a match, in the middle of another mm. match that like you kind of have the cameras go backstage. They fight back into the arena. Maybe they come in via the car and whatnot. Then they could fight back into the arena and then back out. And then maybe the cameras go back to the ring. But you know that they're fighting backstage somewhere. And then afterwards, the cameras could go find them again or, or they can't find them. And then they do the promo with the new day and then they interrupt up that promo mm. with a new day so they could have just taken it a step further i was up for them going after they came back to the ring i was up for them just going off again and then coming yeah. back later in the show you know anything just i think they could have taken this further because i really just i like the fact that there's something going on that's sort of parallel to the rest of the show which could interrupt the rest of the show at any point you don't know what's going to happen because they've they're off somewhere doing something so i think they could have taken it a step further but what they did do i, I enjoyed i I agree 100% because there is plenty of space in this show just for a little thing like they I think you could have like you said had them come in three or four times obviously get it all out of the way for the main event I get that like you don't want all that going on but I also thought with the big show losing I thought oh wouldn't it have been great if they'd come down and big show had just like done a knockout punch to Ambrose or something and then just got pinned by Harper I thought that would have been a lovely little thing because then he's still a giant he might have lost but he's still a giant because he could still do that to that little twat but yeah yeah it's good stuff isn't it it's good stuff look, mm. at, it, look at us we're loving it there's also a um a reference to the chicago cubs and jbl names someone i can't remember who it is but uh the king just goes who <laughs> and i was just like oh brilliant because i was thinking exactly the same thing well this was the first we want tables of yeah. the night and then when they did leave and they cut to the commentators the crowd do start a cm punk they do. cm punk chant and mm. it was like fuck off oh another quick question actually who's eden styles <laughs> i do not ever remember brandy Rhodes' name being eden styles no, I don't really. I think there's a, there's a weird point in WWE's history where all of the referees and all of the announcers become really anonymous. Like, mm. I don't really know who they are. I don't really recognize them. I couldn't tell you. Like, there was a time when I could tell you the names of every referee. Couldn't do that now. There, yeah. or, or even at this point, I don't think I could have done it. And the same goes for the ring announcers, the backstage interviewers. Like, they just seem really anonymous. And I'm like, who are these people? Obviously, I knew Renny Young was. But it just, it just feels like they've gone out of their way 
way to not allow you to know who these people are, which is a shame. Because yeah. they make up I, a good piece of the fabric of what a WWE show is for me. Yeah. And uh, Rudy Charles is on this show. Oh, yeah. Tom's MVP from the lockdown show. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the referees because I had that nowhere down, but it's right at the back. So I would have forgotten. Oh, there you go. Well, we might have um, we might have the specials at the end of the show again for uh, yeah. for this one. Um, So we are two for two. We've had a, Ro- a 20 minute Roman Reigns last man standing match and a 56 minute match featuring Dean <laughs> Ambrose. And we're still two for two. That's unbelievable. Will it yeah. continue for the rest of the show? Well, we'll find out on the other side of the break. So we'll uh, see you in just a second listen we've known each other for more than a decade we have fought side by side we've faced each other many times the devil's favorite demon and the viper two most dangerous men in the wwe but you came traded your mask for a suit to join the authority now listen i get it i get it i understand i know what it's like And you know as well as I know that once the authority is done using you for their purpose, which is to keep that title on Seth Rollins, a title that you helped him win, by the way, you know that when they're done using you for their purpose, they're going to throw you out like garbage. I know who you are, Kane. Even if you've forgotten. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to go through the rest of the show now. Before we get going, um, in the break, I went downstairs to check on my wife with the with the baby. And this is going to be a story which I'm sure all parents will have experienced before, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it is new for me. I got downstairs and the baby's wrapped up in a towel and Holly's kind of like laughing and apparently what had happened is that she'd gone to change him. And then whilst she was changing him, I weed. And obviously all the wee went up in the air, came down on top of him. And he was in a puddle of wee. <laughs> and, and so she had to go and bath him in the in the, uh, in the the kitchen sink. And this is the first time he's ever been bathed. So uh, oh, it, was all a bit of a, it was all a bit of a traumatizing experience, I think. So Rick Boogs will uh, hopefully uh, be able to get over it by uh, the time I return to see them again. Yeah, fingers crossed. Before before we uh, dip into the next kind of match, I thought I would just start by saying the first words that Michael Cole say for the evening, which is the one night of the year WWE goes extreme. I got to be honest, I think they're stretching the definition of the word extreme somewhat here. Well, so what we get is we get the classic rules intro video, which is where it's kind of like rules are made to be broken and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is such generic shit. And I remember, I think Extreme Rules 2012, where Cena and Lesnar, mm. where they beat the shit out of each other, like yeah. absolutely murder each other. And I do think that when you've got that on an Extreme Rules show, I think you probably need to just give it a rest, trying <laughs> to egg on the extreme. Because so what we've got, yeah, we've got a Chicago street fight, a kiss me arse match. <laughs> 
We'll get to it. Yeah, a tag team championship match, a Russian chain match, just a singles match. Last one standing, as we said, and a still cage match. Apart from the kiss me arse match, they don't scream extreme, do they? <laughs> well, this is obviously as well. This graduated from One Night Stand. So this was originally mm. One Night Stand. And then they when they went PG, they didn't like that connotation. So they then changed it to Extreme Rules and it gradually got less and less extreme. And now really it's, it's effectively a gimmick pay-per-view, isn't it? Like, mm. I guess, Lockdown. You know, in that all the matches, or at least most of the matches, have to have some kind of stipulation or kind of gimmick to them. And and they do it every year. So I, I guess, much like lockdown, there must be a business reason for that. It must do pretty well, pretty good pay-per-view buys at this time. And, and now viewers on the network, I suppose. Yeah, and also they, um, they I remember the first time they had a chairs match. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, what's that? That was on a um, on an extreme rules. So I was like, oh. Well, they have one now every year, don't they, on TLC? Mm. Because that's yeah. they have a chair tables match, a ladders match, and a chairs match at TLC. So after the crowd have stopped chanting CM Punk, we get Triple H and Kane backstage. Triple H tells Kane to go find Harper and Ambrose. You'll remember they've obviously had their little match and kind of driven off at this point. Then Seth Rollins appears and Triple H tells both that they need to get on the same page. They, however, argue with Kane saying he's been acting, he being Seth Rollins, like an ungrateful punk since he won the title. So I wonder if that was bait is a kind of a little dig mm. towards old CM himself. Triple H says that Rollins has a point about his complaints about Kane. There are boring chants from the crowd as this goes on. Kane assures both men he will do all the magic words what's best for business. Yeah. I need to give some props to Rollins here because he's such a great whiny bitch. <laughs> he's so good at it, but it's everything around it, isn't it? And also, like, spoiler alert, Kane doesn't do anything to find Harper and Ambrose. No, like, <laughs> not a thing. Literally, not. and also, what's he going to do? Drive around Chicago. Was another great missed opportunity for me. Yeah. If you, if if Kane had gone off in his car, driven away, oh. and then maybe come back with them in his car, <laughs> like yeah. fighting or something, that would have been great. But no, another missed opportunity. He's also got a uh, worrying the Confederate flag-looking tie on as well, Kane. Oh, I didn't notice. I that. thought, yeah, it was the first thing I thought when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's very, uh, that's very distinctive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I noticed it. But yeah, this was just oh, I was awful. This is what this was everything that I hated about it. This was Triple H talking down to two wrestlers. Triple H being a guy who isn't wrestling anymore. And if he does, he wrestles once a year at WrestleMania. But in this role, he's just a non-wrestler talking down to wrestlers who are the guys who are going to try and make you the money. And they're being talked down to Seth Rollins, the world champion, who's just beaten Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar in the main event of WrestleMania 31, is being talked down to by Triple H, just like Daniel Bryan had been, just like Dolph Ziggler had been just like Big Show had been at times Kane is talked down to by Triple H constantly so have practically everybody else in the company even John Cena at times which is mad to me that they even were willing to do this to John Cena and it wasn't just Triple H Stephanie would do it as well very regularly it was just really really bad and then they started talking about best for business as well which is also a major thing for me is a problem but yeah big boring chance in the middle of it which I couldn't really agree with more no that was exactly it I wrote a uh, boring chant in is fine yeah <laughs> and, and normally i just put yeah like boring chance come on you dickheads but they are 100 right because this goes on how long we've been talking about it for but it goes on about as long as this well it's also so, been oh. going on for years by this point yeah. as well like this very same thing just every single week on raw i don't think it was best for business no i think you're i think you're probably right there so match number two of the night is dolph ziggler versus sheamus in the previously mentioned kiss me arse match and it's very important i say 
kiss me arse because that is the exact wording of the match type here that WWE've put on. The stipulation is that whoever loses has to kiss the other wrestler's arse. That is the complexity of this one. It's a nine-minute contest and it ends when Ziggler counters a suplex attempt into an incomplete small package and gets the pin. After the match, Sheamus tries to get the timekeeper to ring the bell and restart the match, which he won't do. Then there are pucker up chants from the fans. <laughs> Ziggler gets his arse out ready for Sheamus to give him a kiss, but then Sheamus instead, after resisting a number of times, low blows Ziggler and hits the bro kick. After that, Seamus then grabs the mic and says, you didn't really think I would kiss your arse, did you, Ziggler? Especially not in this stinking town. Seamus then rubs Ziggler's head on his bum cheek. <laughs> JBL then goes on about his reputation during all of this fucking stuff. I don't know what that was mm. about. This this is where I, I was not happy with JBL's commentary. So yeah, pick the bones out of that one, old man. <laughs> well, Ziggler gets a cracking pop. Seamus indifferent i think hmm. probably fair it's also worth but, saying he just returned so they yeah. talk about the fact that he returned just after wrestlemania i don't know where he'd been he'd obviously been injured out, out for six to month, nine months or something and, and this was his yeah. return yeah and uh, there's a sign in the crowd give me Dolph or give me death <laughs> I was like, okay two options don't want either of them to be honest <laughs> you know what again i quite enjoyed this so this would be one of Tom's cunt matches. Definitely. Like, 100%. He'd have, regardless of how good it was, he'd have been <laughs> yeah. saying it was absolute shit. <laughs> absolute crap. It's very physical, straight off the bat, which it has to be when you're dealing with Sheamus. It's no, you don't want any nuance, do we? Like, he, it's not really his forte. And he's uh, got Ziggler in a chin lock. I don't know, probably a few minutes in. He's just ragdolling him around. It's just like proper, like, ragging him around. And I was like, I quite like that. Quite <laughs> I enjoyed that bit. Uh, there's a bit where JBL won't, he won't allude to the name of the match. Okay. And uh, King says, are you uncomfortable saying ours? And he just goes, well, my parents watch this. And I was just like, what's going on? Why are they having so much fun? Like, what's going on? He then says ours numerous times after that. And I was a bit like, your parents are still watching. There's a nice comeback after the ragdolling by Ziggler that is cut off by Seamus. And it really, it really hits the crowd quite hard, that. They're quite like, oh. And then Seamus puts on a lovely cloverleaf that looks absolutely brutal that uh, Ziggler then counters into a pinfall attempt, which I was just thought, how's he managed that? thought it was lovely. Um, Seamus's hair, so he's got the mohawk at this point. And as the match goes on, it just gets bigger and bigger. Minded me of our good friend Luke after he's had a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs> where his hair just gets absolutely enormous. But much better than I expected this. It's physical. I loved Seamus's bitching at the end. It's like it's the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone is having to kiss another man's arse. And he just sells it really well. And I think, again, like we said with the first match, what we said with the last man standing match, they're having fun with this, these guys. And they're all in. And I just, nine minutes? I think the afters does go on for about as long. Mm. It goes on for bleeding ages, but I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought this was decent. I didn't love it at all, but I would say this is probably about as good as I thought it was going to be, but that wasn't mm. to say it was, I thought it was going to be bad. What I've written here is, and this is early on in the contest in fairness, but it's a, I've written this is a very generic WWE style match. Mm. You've got two guys who, for me, are the definition. Chuck the Miz in here, and you've got the definition of WWE mid-card match. And so they, they're all right. They know what they're doing. They, they, they can do it. 
technically they are fine and they make a decent thing of this but it was a bit by the numbers that i think that's the thing for me it was just a bit by the numbers saying that i do agree that counter to the cloverleaf was pretty cool for me though this was a tale of two bits of commentary the first one we've already talked about a bit jbl so after the match or even during the match jbl says sheamus is not going to kiss anybody's arse and then after the match he goes on and on and on about when sheamus loses that that his jbl's reputation is in tatters because he said sheamus wouldn't kiss kiss anybody's arse and then when he doesn't that's when jbl says my reputation is fine because he hasn't kissed anybody's arse so i wasn't i didn't enjoy that at all i found that annoying because to be honest the whole thing at the end should have been about a first of all the anticipation for sheamus being humiliated by having to kiss mm. of sigler's arse and then him getting out of doing it and then that bringing more heel heat on him but instead jbl made it all about himself and i didn't enjoy that the good bit of commentary comes from jerry lawler shock horror when he refers back to 17 years beforehand and his kiss my foot match with bret hart at the king of the ring 1995 and he says something to the effect of oh i remember you know, putting my feet in all kinds of horrible stuff in anticipation of making Brett kiss my foot. Um, I wonder what Dolph Ziggler's done <laughs> with this. I was a bit like, I'm not sure he needs to do anything. It's <laughs> in his ass. So um, yeah, those were the two. Those are the two bits that really stuck out to me with the commentary. But yeah, it was fine. It was it was a very decent, you yeah. know, perfectly standard good match. I think that's it. Is uh, it was as good as it could have been. And like you said, we're not going to get any more out of these two lads. And Ziggler's cell from the bro kick before he gets his forehead rubbed into Seamus's arse. It's incredible. He sells a bro kick like no one, like no one ever has or ever will. He's just able to lob his body into it. Go on, Devious Dolph. So after this stuff and the Seamus rubbing Ziggler's head into his arse, there's a WWE Network advert which includes Jerry Springer's Too Hot for TV, Mick Foley's Cheap Pops, Jericho's, don't know what it's called, but interviewing Stephanie, and uh, a 24, WWE 24 thing about Roman Reigns. Uh, amongst, I think there's other things as well. I think there's a special, oh, King of the Ring as well. They're, they're, yeah. they're promoting for the Tuesday night. They've got a whole week of original content on the network that mm. week. It's a weird, weird time this was when WWE still actually cared about getting subscribers for the network. In fact, they cared about it more than anything. It was just such a big thing in the news. Nearly every single week in the wrestling news was how many subscribers WWE have got, whether they've got enough to make it a going concern, whether they've got enough to make it into a profitable thing. And you can see here, WWE are really making the effort to get people signed up to the network, which is strange because theoretically all the people watching this already are watching the network. Yeah, I found that exact same thing i find it really interesting to see them flogging it and they played the same advert again mm, later on as well and uh i did also think i was like i've watched the roman reigns wwe 24 i, I always enjoy those little type of things but uh, i also watched the i think it's a wrestlemania rewind which is the money Mayweather and big show thing mm. and that was cracking stuff and that's kind of what they pour their efforts into now i mean the fucking jerry springer stuff <laughs> just 2015 he's yeah. not been relevant for 10 or 12 years i think you've made this exact point <laughs> on this podcast before it's absolutely bonkers that mm. they thought it was great but I also suppose quite cheap. Probably. Yeah. And they did say, Michael Cole said, Jerry Springer has been welcomed into the WWE family, which I thought was lovely. Isn't that lovely? It is. Bathed in the warm embrace of the WWE family, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Yeah. And then probably cruelly disregarded when about seven people watched 
too hot for TV. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> All right, mate. So uh, next match is for the WWE Tag Team titles. It sees the champion Cesaro and Tyson Kidd defending against the New Day, Big E and Kofi Kingston, are the representatives of the New Day in this one. The end comes when after Cesaro does the swing, T- Tyson Kidd hits the drop kick, as was their kind of double team finisher. Xavier Woods, though, then distracts the referee. Natalia slaps Xavier Woods, but this distraction allows Kofi Kingston to roll up Cesaro from behind, grab the tights and get the win to give the New Day, I believe, their first tag team title victory. I haven't got much on this because I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very odd watching the New Day not enormously positively received by the crowd. It's really odd. But this is after their phase of no reaction. So they are saying New Day sucks now, which I, I appreciate because you could see that they're obviously connecting with the crowd. Cesaro catches Big E mm. at one point and it's not like he catches him and then instantly slams him down. He catches him and then he stands for a couple of seconds with him in his arms. And I was like, that is, I know we've made jokes about this. <laughs> He's strong, old man. He's strong. Yeah, about how strong Cesaro is. But I was like, that is nuts. Like, <laughs> absolutely nuts. There's a cracking sharpshooter by Tyson Kidd, which you'd expect. And the finish is great. Really well done. They obviously work well together, these two teams. It's fast-paced. Good fun, again. You've got Natalia and Xavier Woods on the outside who add to it. Just good stuff. And also, um, and I don't quite know why I picked up on this, but everyone's finish is protected. So no one kicks out from anyone's finish during this match. And I think it probably caught me because it's such a rarity in every even mid-card match now. Yeah, just... Very much, very much enjoyed it. How about you, Tinky? What do you reckon? It's my match of the night. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy these two tag teams. They've got that great little combination of the Cesaro and Tyson Kidd are similar in that Kofi and, and Biggie are kind of similar in terms of the big guy, the power guy and the and the mm. less powerful guy, the more kind of lighter guy. Really enjoyed it. Thought it was just a, a really decent, lovely, tidy little tag team match. And yeah, I don't, there's not much more I can say about it. Like you, I've not got a huge amount of notes. I've just read through them whilst we whilst you were talking. I was like, I haven't got anything massive here that I really want to say. Just some really cool double team moves here and there. Just some really cool moments. Cesaro's really over and Tyson Kidd's really over. People were really into them as a tag team. The New Day are kind of, as you said, got past that sort of mini indifferent phase. The, the whole thing's a bit strange, actually, because when New Day first turned up, they come out and they were pretty presented as baby faces i think or at least it seemed like they were presenting them as baby faces but the whole thing felt like a heel thing anyway from the get-go it's almost like wwe anticipated or they anticipated that no one would like it at first so they wanted to kind of almost i don't know like trick the fans into thinking they were trying to present a baby face team and then i don't know but whatever it worked so can't can't really argue with it and uh yeah i just really enjoyed it thought it was a really really decent tidy match with good sequences good end good everything really just really good yeah i know we we touched upon this on a NXT Fatal 4-Way. Tyson Kidd, so good. Just really good. Everything looks real. He's a classic heart dungeon trained guy, isn't he? And that sounds like a, such a cunt thing to say. But <laughs> it really is because everything looks so real. And it looks like it hurts. And you know he's soft as a feather. Did your voice just break, old man? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's emotional talking about the heart family dungeon. It's a classic heart family uh, dungeon <laughs> product. Tyson Kidd. So <laughs> next up, we get the vaunted 
classic kickoff panel. What uh, a like, panel it is. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's two-thirds of the current role announced team. Byron Saxton, Booker T and Corey Graves. They have some pointless commentary. Then Saxton announces that there is no IC title match. And this is when they talk about Daniel Bryan having been undeemed unable to compete. And therefore, on the kickoff, there was a, sh- a match between Neville and Bad News Barrett, which Neville wins with his always impressive uh, old, what is it, Red Arrow? Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, Fal- Falcon Arrow. No, that's a different move. Uh yeah, Red Arrow, why not? Let's call it the Red Arrow for now. This was, incidentally, also the final of the King of the Ring on the Tuesday night after this. <laughs> so Bad News Barrett wins the King of the Ring by beating Neville in the final. So mm. so there you go. Bit of, uh, bit of trivia for you there. I thought, from the highlights, it looked like a little bit of a ripper, that match. <laughs> I thought, you know what? And they got, um, I had a check on the Bastion of All Knowledge Wikipedia. They get ten and a half minutes as well. So it must have been pretty good. But uh, we've talked about these kickoff panels. To say that they offer nothing <laughs> on this occasion is overstating it. I've just written, what great insight they offer with an exclamation mark. Nothing, literally yeah. nothing. When I saw who it was, I did think I was like, oh. You've got Sexy Saxton, Booker T, who's, well, I've not forgiven him for the show that we did with his commentary on. <laughs> and Corey Graves, who I quite like as a commentator, but was horrendous at this thing because he was tr- always trying, I felt, to get himself over. So he'd always try and make elaborate points. And uh, he obviously doesn't do that well, on this show. He's just like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm holding a pen. Well, I think the problem, in fairness to the panels, they are useless. But the big problem is that they've got nothing to talk about because the, the stories and the situations are not intriguing enough. There's mm. not enough about them. It's not like they've got loads to talk about in terms of what might happen between Seth Rollins and Randy Orton. Because if they do, they're going to give away what's going to happen. Mm. It'd be different if the match was going to have nothing, no interference in it. Then they could go, oh, you know, what's Kane's role going to be here? What What's he going to do? Is he going to live up to what, tri- what Triple H and the authority want? Or is he going to is he going to let his personal feelings for Seth Rollins get in the way? What role will J&J Security play? And they could have they could talk about that stuff on the panel mm. if that wasn't going to happen. But it is. So yeah. you can't really talk about it. That's the big problem. Yeah, I suppose if they said, oh, so uh, how do you reckon the main event's going to go then? Oh, I reckon it should be a standard steel cage match. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, Booker? Yeah, the same. <laughs> dog cool <laughs> i did think that they're um, kind of hamstrung by where they're placed they could have had it after cedar rusev so at least they could just talk about that mm. but the problem the problem is though even then they just they just don't do anything like again with that match if there was a sort of a really impressive thing that cena did to win they could discuss mm, it yeah, but what, what are you going to talk about what are you gonna, is that's the problem is it's just wwe is not a intricate enough promotion with intricate enough storylines to mm. give people things to talk about if they're you know i always i always like the idea of doing a kayfabe podcast so you almost do cover of the shows in in kayfabe but you can't do it with most pro wrestling because yeah. it's just not intricate enough it could be so much more intricate and it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be great but they just they don't put enough effort in to make it um, interesting enough. So then we get Renee Young backstage interviewing New Day. This is where they are inter- interrupted by Ambrose and Luke Harper returning to the arena. It starts with Luke Harper running into the New Day and then Ambrose jumping towards them from the top of the car and Luke Harper getting out of the way and then they brawl to the ring. And eff- effectively what happens in the end is that Ambrose slams 
Harper into a big pile of chairs from the second rope mm. and then hits the dirty deeds for the pinfall. That was the finish I did not have to hand earlier on. Just going back to the promo with the New Day, what I thought was incredible with this promo is that they are exactly the same now as mm. they are in this promo and yet they are like the biggest faces in the company. But, but they're doing they... exactly the same thing. They've just very slightly tweaked just like the phrases that they use. I thought it's so interesting because they've got that same energy. If if you watch like The Rock cut a promo from early 98, for example, and then watch one from 2000, he's got the same energy, still got the same mannerisms, but he has built over that those two years a like plethora of catchphrases and little mm. bits and things that he does that's the same with the new day they've kind of they have the same energy they do the same sort of rhythm to what they're doing but they've just built into it over the years all these like on the the who you know that that kind yeah. of thing and, and other bits and pieces that that people can that are familiar with them and and so they kind of can sing along and kind of get involved and i think i'm I, I think what i'm impressed with them for really most of all is sticking with it for so long and doing that kind of still coming up with new things they had the whole unicorns thing like a year after this where it was all about the unicorns for a while and they've just you know done all these little bits and pieces that presumably at some point they can also um, and probably regularly do pay off in some way Xavier Woods had his um, trombone for Hmm. a long time as well Roman Reigns is then in a hype video or at least that's what I thought it was a Roman Reigns hype video it's not it's a payback uh, advert the next WWE pay-per-view which is in three weeks time after this so they were once again very well we talked about this last night last year when we discussed their elimination chamber 2015 show that was a pay-per-view that was two weeks since the previous one and two weeks before the next one so they're basically doing you know lots and lots of special events again as part of the network kind of proposition that they were offering at the time then up next is the hype video for cena and rusev's match we see cena defeat rusev for the u.s title at wrestlemania then also we see cena announcing the john cena u.s title open challenge and defeating stardust bad news barrett dean ambrose and kane in recent weeks then we see him being attacked by rusev and lana announcing that the u.s title match between the two at uh, extreme rules will be a russian chain match any thoughts russian? on the video i find it quite annoying actually because what it did is it did a really good job of making rusev look like a monster but i was a bit that like, was a bit late now isn't it <laughs> like this ship sailed when you had him beaten Armenia. At least just after Rusev makes his entrance, the king says, oh, and then Armenia, he turned up in a tank, but then he got beat. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sums it up. Like, perfect. So succinctly, because it was, we talked about uh, WrestleMania 30 when Bray Wyatt got beaten by Cena. And I had a big old rant about legacy and all that stuff. And now it annoyed <laughs> me. And this was the exact same thing. They had, like, don't get me wrong, Rusev ain't amazing. But when you look at what they have and would have in their main event, you're like, there's no one like this guy. Why have you allowed this to happen? Like, he works differently to everyone else. It's like, why have you done this? Taking that away, just as a single video, I thought it was very well put together. Yeah, this was John Cena's kind of, I don't know, like the year where he tried to prove to everyone that he was a really great wrestler. So Mm. he basically had a bunch of matches on Raw and on pay-per-view over the course of the year with the US title against all kinds of people and did have some excellent excellent matches for the u.s title i don't know how really he did it because he was working really high impact 
booked a heavy schedule of really high profile matches because that's what he made it of it really it was one of the highlights actually of raw during 2015 mm-hmm. was john cena's u.s open cha- u.s title open challenge and i'm not really talking about necessarily the match on this show but the matches that he did have on raw uh over the course of that year were were really quite really quite impressive and also obviously we've already talked about daniel bryan winning the intercontinental title at wrestlemania 31 it feels to me like they were trying to have both those titles be very heavily featured on the u.s title on raw and the intercontinental title on smackdown even though there wasn't a, a split at the time but for some reason they seem to appear on those those shows it's almost as if they were trying to highlight both titles and create a sort of inbuilt thing for people to tune into those shows for and obviously it didn't work with the brian thing because of his injury but on the on cena side of it it definitely was something worthwhile on on rule that year yeah i wasn't watching a huge amount but i can remember seeing a few cracking on my latest match with stardust i was reminded of in the video that was cracking big cody i'm a big cody guy now it turns out <laughs> no well. not really <laughs> Silly. So that match is up next. It's John Cena versus Rusev for Cena's US title in a Russian chain match. It goes for 13 and a half minutes. The end comes when both men hit three corners. So the, the way to win this is by hitting all four turnbuckles in succession. Both men hit three of those corners and then Cena hits an AA and then hits the final corner for the win uh, to retain the title. Hmm. Very torn on this one because I, again... Like the last time standing match, I do not like these type of matches. They're so drawn out, the finishes. They actually, the end happens pretty quickly. Here, what goes on before it is, I think, fine. The height, we were peaking early because Rusev's music plays and his music's fucking amazing. And he's announced as a hero to the Russian Federation, which is, I mean, it's not a place you want to be at the moment, is it? Cena then comes down. He's got his little towel. Just suddenly struck me when I was watching this. Towel's weird. He's carrying a little towel. <laughs> and it's tiny as well. What, what yeah. do with that yeah it's not big enough for his massive head i don't think no he's also so the chain is strapped to their arm a good old weighty strap on he's got four sweatbands on <laughs> and then he has that on top like his wrists must have been roasting like <laughs> absolutely oh my god you say, you say that but he wasn't getting no sweat on those hands was he well i know he wasn't that's true so my prediction for the finish so this is what i wrote it so the finish is going to be there could be three three all on corners but what will happen is that there'll be an accolade put on by rusev and then cena will power out and he'll reach for the last turnbuckle now we didn't get that and given the rule where it was if your momentum's lost then they reset the counters for each corner that makes sense but probably would have been better than the finish i i think they came up with because it was predictable but they work their fucking bollocks off these two and i think they know that they're in quite a tough situation because the chain feels too long for the size of the ring so it's quite difficult for them to actually work where someone can't just walk around and just go there we go i'll just tap them all <laughs> they do a couple of nice little things like rolling out the ring like cena does it and then rusev does it later on it's not bad Cena puts on a terrible STF, which really always did. Just took me out of it completely. And then we got, well, just before that, you get Lana. The crowd are just like, we want Lana. Yeah. And she gets up on the apron, does a little wave, and then Rusev lobs her at the back. Gets a lovely bit of heat on himself. And it, that really, uh, I really enjoyed that. I appreciated that. 
because the character that he was playing, he should have 100% done that. And I thought, yeah, that was good. But the match, I could decide whether it's a bit of a burial again of Rusev because of how easy it is. But I also don't know how else they would have finished the match. Because he wasn't going to beat Cena. If he was going to beat Cena, he would have beaten him at Mania. And then Cena would have won this one. But it was never going to go the other way around. But I thought this was perfectly fine and about as good as it could be. Which kind of continues the theme, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought this was okay. I didn't hate it at all. But it, it wasn't. It was pretty forgettable. And mm. I think I, I kind of disagree with you, actually. I think they could have had Rusev win this. It's not like he'd pin Cena. He just has to mm. hit four turnbuckles. That's mm. it. Like, it's protect Cena, and he wins the match, and it leads to their third match, which they have a third match. We know they have a third match because after the match, or later on in the night, sorry, Lana goes and finds the authority and gets their third match. So it would have easily led to a third match if had Rusev won. Instead, Rusev has to take three successive pay-per-view losses to Cena. That's just mm. silly for a guy that is had been built up really well during the course of the previous year. And by SummerSlam of this year, he's like... Lana's has left him for Dolph Ziggler and he's brought Summer Rae in to like be his replacement for Lana like it's just oh, it's just fucking bad it's just really mm. bad and you just I just felt bad for the, both of them really because they're also you know they, they'd come in they were this really cool kind of act really cool but they were decent act Lana felt like the kind of manipulative person who was the Russian official if you like and instead then they sort of put them into this sort of soapy storyline type thing with Dolph Ziggler and you're just like oh and it's not really really where Dolph Ziggler should have been you you heard the pop from uh, against Sheamus you know, they, they, they made him into something a whole lot less by putting him in that feud with Lana as well so yeah real shame but yeah this is okay I don't know what you can do with a four quarter with a strap match to be honest I just no. don't they're just rubbish aren't they let's be honest yeah. they're just rubbish they're worse than a last man standing match there's even less kind of scope for innovation and creativity also I can I I, I kind of cringe a lot whilst watching these matches because I'm always worried they're going to get caught on the rope. Mm. Like when they slam one another, I'm always worried that the kind of the, the strap or whatever or the chain is going to get wrapped up in amongst their legs and going to like cause them to fuck up a slam or something and land on their head. So I just don't really like them. What did you make of, I didn't know whether or not the panels on the turnbuckles, so they had on each of the turnbuckles, they had lights to indicate Mm. whether or not either of the men had hit that particular turnbuckle. I couldn't decide whether that enhanced this or made it look shit. So I thought it looked terrible, but I liked the fact that Rusev touches one, I think he touches two quite early on, and they go green, and he just shouts, I think it was Mike Kyoto as the referee, just shouts him because they should be red for him. Mm. But yeah, I mean, we're not fucking idiots, are we? (laughs) I think that's kind of it. I, I appreciate the visual you get at the end where you've got six of the eight lights lit and then the green, final green one for Cena. But I wouldn't be sad if they never did it. Well, mind you, I wouldn't be sad if they never did a, uh, a corners match again. But just a bit hokey, isn't it? I think it looks rubbish. But the reason I thought it might enhance it is that I always find this a bit arbitrary. Like, what is momentum? What does that mm. even mean? Why is it that yeah. Rusev goes to one, then goes to another, and then goes to a third? How is that momentum? He's just walking. And in between yeah. those, he is being pulled back a little bit by Cena. So it's not like he's just in one motion gone around and hit those three. Yeah. It just feels like a very arbitrary rule and one that is ultimately down to the referee to decide whether or not the, the chain has been broken. For, for hitting those turnbuckles. So in that respect, it kind of at least made clear mm. how this is being judged. And again, with the referee, he was saying to the people, you know, that's it now, turn them off. Yeah. The momentum has been lost. So it kind of, in that respect, did 
kind of add something to it. I would have liked it if the referee had had little cards and he had to go around and put a card on the turnbuckle just because it would have just been terrible. But it would have <laughs> made me laugh. Just poor Mike Kidder just putting an absolute shift in. After this, there's an advert for Mountain Dew. And there then, is. <laughs> yeah, and we'll come back to Mountain Dew in a bit because uh, the old Mountain Dew bottles are out as well oh, uh, yes. for the commentators. Rene Young then interviews Roman Reigns backstage. You uh, kind of alluded to this earlier on, old man, when you were talking about his program before the match with the big show. He says that you can knock him down, but you cannot keep him down. He says he's going to be the last man standing in his match with the big show. About as generic as you could really manage, really, I would suggest. Yeah, like I said, it was quite uh, just looks and I don't really like the term, but he just looks so green. Mm. Like this is a guy who's just been in the main event of Mania. And a match that is definitely enhanced by the finish. That when it becomes a triple throw where Rollins cashes in, but is pretty good up to then. But then you see him like yes, he's like a little kid. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be the like you said, I'll be the last one standing, I will. <laughs> oh me mum will be so proud. Well he's got the for me, he's got the feel of somebody who had only been the company like two, or only been on the main roster for two and a half years and had already headlined WrestleMania, had been cashed straight into the main event had been exposed by the WWE to an audience who were really an open rebellion against the WWE and let's not forget that that's another impact of the authority storyline if you mm. book the owners or the operators of the company to be heels then the natural response of the crowd is to dislike the company that's just common sense so yeah. that's another reason not to do it because you actively make them dislike your company but he'd been so they were in kind of open rebellion against them because the show was really bad for a long time they'd obviously kind of done what they did with brian and we've gone through that before so i won't go through it again but then when brian got injured as well roman reigns was then cast kind of into the main event spot and it felt like they were forcing him and it wasn't really working and they wouldn't they just wouldn't they refused to make him a heel even though he obviously probably should have been it feels like at that time he was incapable of knowing where to turn it feels like he was in a position where he was like i don't really know enough to not just do what they tell me to do i don't really know enough or i haven't been here long enough to turn around and say you know what let's not do that let's do it this way which i imagine now and i might be wrong but i imagine now he is in that position where if they give him something he says and he looks at it and doesn't like it he'll just say i'm not doing it i mean i'll do this instead or give me something else or write something else and it wouldn't surprise me if partially that comes from the guidance of someone like Paul Heyman who will say to him look you need to know your value to the company you need to be comfortable with what you're doing and you now also need to protect yourself because you are a star and stars as I've said before are really hard to create so when you become one and when you get one a the company needs to protect that star but if they're not doing enough the star themselves need to protect their own position Austin used to do it all the time and obviously the end kind of led him into loggerheads with the company but for a good few years was a massive reason why he stayed hugely popular because he was so fiercely protective of who his character was and not doing things that would harm the character. And at this point, just he doesn't have it. He doesn't have that filter. And he's just almost like he's just doing what they tell him because he doesn't know any better and he doesn't really know where his boundary is and he doesn't know his value to the company at this point. And so, yeah, he's just sort of given a script and then he does it, but he's obviously not comfortable with it. And that's where the sucker in succotash bit came from as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Poor old Roman, eh? But you know what? I think you might make it. <laughs> so we then get the Divas Championship match, which is Nikki Bella defending against Naomi in an eight minute match. Uh, this one ends when Brie Bella, who's on the outside, kicks Naomi in the face with the ref distracted, allowing Nikki to hit the rack attack 
and get the pin. I've written here that this was generally pretty decent. Yes, I agree. And I was not a fan of the finish because it didn't make any sense because they're supposed to be the faces. Like, well, no, you don't. No, no, you don't need to cheat. You don't need to. Um, a little na- note on Naomi. So they show in the video, they show clips of her giving Paige a beating, and she is laying it in on her. And I was like, oh bloody hell! I always remember how much I like Naomi. And I'm watching this. She's great, even back back now. Well, back then, back now, at some point <laughs> in in 2015. Back, so, back now, I, seven years ago. Yeah. So she's 27 at the time. I think she's only, only properly been wrestling full time for a couple of years, but she's really good. And to give her a due, Nikki Bella was always tidy. But yeah, this is this was as good as I hoped it would be, but I didn't expect it to be because I'm a big Naomi fan. Yeah, I, I thought this was good. When they came into it, there was no real fan interest. And then as the match went on, they kind of came in and into it a little mm. bit, which is, you know, that, that's a skill. That's not easy to do. If you if you do that, you've put on something at very least. You've, you've managed something there. There's a cool bulldog thing into the turnbuckle by Naomi at one point. She also does a snap suplex. She looks great in this match. Mm. This is also when Nikki Bella had been improving as well and had been wrestling more often and the, her matches were being presented in a more serious manner as well as the champion. I mean, when you talk about Brie and Nikki being the baby faces, let's not pretend that any of that makes any sense anyway, because obviously at SummerSlam the previous year, Brie had faced Stephanie and Nikki had turned on Brie and helped Stephanie win. Mm. And then after about six weeks they just forgot about it and the two of them got back together and there was no explanation they just did it was just hideous there was just some absolutely hideous booking stuff that was going on at this time and that was one of them and, and actually the whole heel babyface dynamic is a major problem all over the show because obviously Roman Reigns gets booed in his match with the big show John Cena still in that sort of middling point where some people still hate him we've already talked about the new day and the fact they kind of come in as babyfaces then turn heel and then very quickly went back to being babyface once they caught on the Bellas that's a that's a weird thing that's going on you know for example Seth Rollins they came in the shield came in in late 2012 this is less than three years later he's already been a heel a babyface and then back to a heel that's just yeah. too much it's way way too much and, and don't get me started Randy Orton who has turned heel yeah. and babyface about a billion times by this point and the big show of course so there's just a major major problem with the whole dynamic of heels and babyfaces at a point when they're still actually presenting them they're just not they've got no consistency with who they are and uh, I think the Bellas were as big a problem as anybody during that period but overall decent match for the eight minutes they had they did pretty well and I'm you know what I would say is that this summed up the ma- the whole show for me which was there was nothing that was below average everything kind of hmm. it was at least average a little note on Naomi as well because I know Tommy's not here this week but Naomi's singing her music oh is she, she comes down that. yes yeah, she just does it. She does it and then obviously checks herself. Yeah. But she yeah. Should not, and that, she should not have checked herself. She should have done that proudly. Yeah. Was she going, I'm amazing, or was that not her music at this time? Uh, it is her music, I believe, and she just does the first bit. Oh. And I'm like, cool. And uh, yeah, the commentators very much enjoy her shoes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's JBL says, but they light up. 
And then King, to his credit again, he's like, well, perhaps it's like a distraction. And then JBL won't leave it. And I'm like, oh, come on, mate. Luckily, I think to your point about the crowd as well, I think the quality of the match kind of takes them away from that. And they're like, oh, actually, this is pretty bloody good. Mm. So backstage after this, backstage, Rusev appears to be berating Lana in Russian or Bulgarian. Not sure which. I'm not. I'm assuming he can't speak but Russian. So I, I, that's why I thought it must be in Bulgarian. Then Lana walks off and she walks into the authority's office. Then back at ringside, Lawler takes a swig of his Mountain Duke. It's fucking <laughs> happened, guys. He's, took it, he's taken a swig <laughs> of it. And then JBL also looks like he's going to go for some. He starts to yeah. unscrew the top and everything. We don't see it, but, you know, we, we can speculate that he did have some Mountain Dew. <laughs> so those warm Mountain Dews that have been sat in front of them for the whole of this show, they got some action from the commentary team. And not only that, but I found it quite interesting that the advert was still on the show. So they're obviously, Mountain Dew is still giving WWE some bunch. Mm. And I know you're a big proponent of Mountain Dew. Was well, back in the day, yeah. Yeah, like like you said, a warm Mountain Dew. <laughs> Unless they had a stone cold cooler down there, and they were like, oh, let's um, after warm ones on the side, then when I'm going to take a sip, let's get a cold one out. <laughs> it didn't look like it to me, because a cold one would be like wet. It would have perspiration on the outside. Yeah. Perspiration? I'm not sure that's right, but condensation. On yeah, the yeah. <laughs> um, they they didn't sweat. <laughs> Oh, oh I'm so sweaty. gonna drink I'm my so sweaty sweaty mountain mountain juice. <laughs> so then we get the hype video for Roman Reigns and the Big Show. We don't need to talk about that. We've discussed that match and everything that went with it. And then we have for the Hero in All of Us advert, which is something about WWE kind of bigging up their kind of community work as always. Yeah. Again, like we had this the other week when we covered um, uh, WrestleMania 26. You've got a hill doing some nice stuff with some kids. And I'm like, no. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> At this point, they just didn't care about no. maintaining a sense of continuity in terms of who those people were, even on their own programming. You know, that that's the crazy thing. So we then see Kane walking backstage and he bumps into Randy Orton. Orton says that they've known each other for 10 years. He says once the authority are done using him for their purpose, they will throw him out like garbage. He then says that he knows who Kane is, even if Kane has forgotten himself. This is without a doubt the best promo on the card because it calls back doesn't it it's a little callback to the fact that Orton knows what's going to happen mm. because that's what happened to him yeah and also I think with Orton so we discussed this I I like Orton but you never know what Orton you're going to get and he by his own admission like on the uh, Stone Cold interview that he did he's like he said there were some years where he's just off it completely due to various reasons and watching this promo I thought oh you know what he might be at it tonight mm. but yeah I, I, just, I was just happy there was a promo that wasn't just Triple H shitting <laughs> on some performers <laughs> uh, with Orton apparently you never know what you're going to get much like a box of chocolates apparently yes yeah which is um, that's how he likes to be called apparently here he is <laughs> old Choco old box of chocks Choco Orton <laughs> So <laughs> next up, Michael Cole talks about Tough Enough starting in June, and then they run a video package of some of the videos that have been sent in to this point. <laughs> and uh, this old man is shaking his head. He's not happy. So what when they were going to show these videos, I was like, there's going to be some gold in here. There's going to be some hilarious stuff. None of them are funny. None of them are. But I don't recognize anyone. So that's not a good thing. So I watched this series of Tough Enough as well. So I was 
like they've not even got. And then I thought, I wonder if any of them did make it. I did try to look out for anybody that I recognised, mm. but there was no one there. No, I mean, I don't, I don't watch all that like Japanese shit and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, I did wonder if anyone had made it now, maybe in Ring of Honor or what was the other one? GCW Bloodsport or something that Matt was talking about <laughs> before he shot himself because he'd watched the wrong show. <laughs> Basically, if they haven't been in WWE or that like month and a half of AEW that I watched, then <laughs> then there they are. <laughs> or or they haven't appeared on a WWE, AWA, or or uh, you know ECW show that we've that we've covered on yeah. this podcast. Yeah, yeah, which none of them have been on like the AWA Christmas night show. You're right on that score, definitely. Next up, Bo Dallas comes out. Yes. He actually gets quite yes. a good reception, in fairness to him. He says that there was a sign this morning that said "Welcome to Chicago, the second city." He says that makes no sense because Chicago is number one, number one at choosing not to shower. <laughs> that, uh, Bo Dallas tells the fans to shut their mouths and listen to what he's saying. Ryback then interrupts him. He looks like we have an impromptu match on our hands, but we don't. Just Dallas attacks Ryback, but Ryback quickly fights back and hits the shell shock to end the segment. What the fuck was this about? I don't know, but I completely forgotten about Bo Dallas's high. <laughs> and that popped me massive that wasn't you doing an impression that was your voice breaking again wasn't it it was yeah yeah he he just goes believe but uh like you said i don't know what this is i like the fact that he said that they're (laughs) number one in like smelling or not washing and then ryback comes out and i mean i don't know how long he'd been doing his ryback thing at this point i can't Good couple, good two, two years, two, three years, maybe. Yeah, because it was WrestleMania 29, wasn't it, when he fought Mark Henry? And that was kind of when he was in his push phase. Um, He rushes everything. Every single move he does, he's rushing. I'm like, what are you in such a hurry for, mate? This is your moment on the pay-per-view. You need to enjoy this. I mean, don't get wrong, I was glad that you rushed it because he's terrible. I always forget how bad he is. And then I see him do some stuff and I'm like, oh, you're just... It's just too big, isn't he? Well, what's also, I mean, as perplexing as his quality is, is that every time you see him, genuinely every time, he's over. Mm. Every time I've ever seen him on a WWE show, every anytime I kind of watch anything that he's on, he's over. We watched, again, we watched uh, Elimination Chamber 2015 last year. He's over on that. They love him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> really odd. Yeah, I don't know whether it's like that simple thing where you can feed me more feed me more and people are just like yeah cool i like that yeah yeah feed me more yeah feed me. yeah well that's obviously it backstage byron saxon interviews rusev rusev says that cena has never beaten him he's a liar and a cheat funnily enough uh my notes say he's a liar and a cheat but i thought for a second it said he's a liar and a cunt doesn't oh um, <laughs> lovely Lana then arrives and informs rusev that the final chapter of cena versus rusev will be an i quit match at payback i almost watched I, i'm not gonna lie i almost turned on payback straight after this just to see just to see that i mean this is monday night raw isn't it <laughs> i why i oh although i suppose i'd not realized that it's only three weeks between it's, but also that still means you've got nine hours of raw and six hours of smackdown to fill between those two shows so yeah and it's not a feud that needs building is it not really no so then we finally get the um, hype video for the main event, which is Rollins against 
Randy Orton in a cage match. The video shows Rollins cashing the money in the bank at WrestleMania 31 and winning the world title. Then Orton reminding Rollins that he beat him at WrestleMania 31 earlier in that night. Rollins chooses a stipulation that bans the RKO from being used during the match. And Orton chooses for the match to be a steel cage match. Triple H appoints Kane then as the gatekeeper of the cage. And Rollins and Kane are shown not being on the same page. I mean, the videos are actually pretty good. Without the shenanigans that we've had in the promo sections before, and this is pretty good, but, well, it's classic first feud after a title win, isn't it, stuff? I do, I quite like the logical way of building towards this as the match that Orton deserves because he beat the champion the night he became mm. the champion. So I, I have absolutely no problem with them using that to get him into the position as being the number one contender and having to face Seth Rollins. The problem I've got, as with every single, I've said this before, every single time an authority figure is champion or somebody who's with an authority figure is champion, is why would they ever defend the title? At least, why would they ever defend it against anybody that might beat them? Because you just run the risk of losing the title. There's just it's just silly. If you're gonna and as this you know as this video package shows, there's obviously a big thing about Kane and whether or not he can be trusted and whether or not he'll help Seth Rollins. But if you are the authority figures and you want Kane to help Seth Rollins because you want Kane you want Seth Rollins to retain the belt, just don't have him defend the belt. It's really that simple. It just is instantly fraud whenever they have this storyline, which is why I. I think they should just be banned for all time. Luckily, I don't think WWE have one at the moment. Or if they do, they're kind of a background character rather than a kind of front and centre person. But it was a major problem during the authority storyline. Well, especially where you're like, I'm going to, I'll let you choose a stipulation, Randy. (laughs) Why? Yeah. Instead, Seth Rollins, you choose 10 stipulations that you want. Randy Orton's not allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit of a problem. With this so Rollins says that he's going to beat Orton he doesn't need to escape the cage and this really stuck with me because as the match goes on he doesn't really live up to that to be honest because he immediately tries to escape well his specific thing is I'm not, not I don't need to walk out the door right so he immediately tries to escape over the top and then later on asks for Kane to open the door it's like mate mate <laughs> no so the match itself is 21 minutes in length. It is for the title. It is a cage match. The rules are pinfall submission or escape. They can escape through the door or over the top. The end sees a whole bunch of stuff going on. So Orton goes to exit the cage through the door, but Kane closes a door on him, won't allow him through. Rollins tries to drop kick Orton, but he moves and hits. Seth Rollins hits uh, the door and it takes Kane down as well at the same time. Kane then gets back up, slams the door on both Rollins and Orton, and then gets in the cage. Looks like he's going to go after Rollins. Then J&J Securities try to stop him, so he chokeslams them both. Kane then chokeslams Orton and then chokeslams Rollins, and then Kane pulls Rollins on top of Orton for a cover, but Orton kicks out. Kane then tries to tombstone Orton, but he counters with an RKO but then as he turns around Rollins hits an RKO of his own and escapes through the door to retain the title the commentators argue over the finish and in my words here highlight how silly the whole banning of the RKO rule was in the first place they're so hamstrung these lads by Kane being there that the crowd know exactly what's going to be part of the finish 
So when Kane's not involved, they're not entertained by it. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's very good. But they're going through the motions. They're having a decent old time. But it's not very exciting because also I knew that there was going to be a load of shenanigans and shit going on at the end. And it's 21 minutes. It's long. The shenanigans that you've broken down expertly there from J&J security coming down, I think it's probably about five or six minutes. And it's borderline unwatchable because it's such a mess. It's such a mess and people don't seem to know what they're up to. And this is the real, real bum note of the show, I think, this match. They're not given a chance. And because of that, it's just really not very good at all, Mm. I don't think. I I thought it was all right as a match, but I totally agree with you. The whole situation with Kane and then JJ Security also, plus the RKO ban rule. And then, as I said, the commentators argue about over after the finish. And they just highlight exactly why it makes no sense at all. Because, first of all, it's a cage match, so there are no rules in the first place anyway. Like, how can you have a rule where a move is banned in a match where there are no disqualifications? That doesn't make sense. Then, Orton uses the RKO on Kane, who isn't a competitor in a match, but is a part of the match officially because he's the gatekeeper. So surely... If Orton can be disqualified for using the RKO, then he can also be disqualified for hitting a, a referee or an official, if you like. But he doesn't get disqualified for either of those things, even though he has used the RKO. And then Seth Rollins uses the RKO. And there's been no mention of the fact that Randy Orton can't use it. It's just that it's been banned. But then the commentator suggests that, oh, actually, it's just that Randy Orton can use it. It's just pathetic. It's yeah. just absolutely pathetic. I think what they do in the match is really quite decent. You know, again, nothing for me under average, below average on the show. And this was a tick above average in terms of what they did in the ring. But the end, the rules, the situation is just stupid. And I, and that's even with the distance of those seven years that we talked about at the beginning mm. of the show. Because at the time, this was happening every fucking week on Raw mm. and SmackDown. They were pretty much reliant on Seth Rollins to be in the main event of every single match, every single show, sorry, at this time, both on Raw and SmackDown, in matches against Neville and in game, matches against Dolph Ziggler. And even against Kane a couple of weeks before this, they'd had a match with one another. And they'd have tag team matches where it was Seth Rollins and Kane against Randy Orton and Dolph Ziggler or Seth Seth Rollins and Kane against two other people. And it would just be Seth Rollins. Rollins, Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins, and the authority, or some combination of the authority. So they'd even do like Seth Rollins and J&J Security against Randy Orton. Seth Rollins, J&J Security, and Kane against Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. And it was just every single show. It was boring as hell. And the same stuff was coming up. The authority would help Seth Rollins more often than not overcome his opponents, especially if it was a, a singles match for the title. And when it wasn't, when it was a tag team match of some kind, it would be a problem between Seth Rollins and Kane or Seth Rollins and the Big Show or J&G Security and Kane or somebody. And it was just so interminable. That's what it was. Absolutely yeah. interminable. So even with the benefit of the distance of those seven years, I still felt the pain of that time. Yeah, just as the match went on, I could just feel where it was headed. And it was even worse than I thought it was going to be, to be honest, because it's, yeah, you've just summed it up perfectly. I think it's just even with having that separation. I I never watched this show before, but I was watching, I was watching Raw semi-regularly during this period. And it was just incredibly difficult to watch. Because also the what you ended up is you ended up with 
just a champion who looks incredibly weak as well. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't like he's he's great, Rollins, but he looks like a absolute little mug in this. I, Orton kind of doesn't need it necessarily. Like he doesn't need to be protected, but he doesn't come out of it looking particularly great. And then I can remember at payback. I had to check this before we started, but payback is the four or five way match. And from memory, it's bordering an identical finish. Mm. And it's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> especially when you know what these guys could do because they've done it at Mania. Mm. And from memory, their match was one of the best on the card. I'm very, I'm very tempted to book in for the schedule next year, WrestleMania 31, because I want to, I I think I've only watched it the one time I did watch it. And my abiding memory of Randy Orton versus Seth Rollins is everybody saying, oh, what an amazing match. But me thinking, is that just because the end is great? Like Mm. the final move where Randy Orton, you know, does the old RKO when Seth Rollins goes for the curb stomp. Yeah. Like, which is amazing. But is that why everyone thinks it's a great match, just because of that moment? I don't know, because I haven't gone back and watched it again. What you said there about Seth Rollins doesn't, it looks pathetic. Randy Orton doesn't really come out of this particularly great either. Mm. That's what I was saying earlier on, though, as well, is that, that that's the same for every act in the company. No one looked good yeah. because the authority just steamrolled over everything and everybody, even their own people, even their own wrestlers, the people that were affiliated to them, they were lording it over them they were kind of making them look you know secondary and less important and it was just a terrible terrible time for creating characters that people could believe in who could invest in who would look good would look strong or tough or cool or anything because everybody was deferent to the authority Mm. it was just just pathetic but i i said what they did in the ring was decent that was kind of my abiding thought of the match it was it was decent it uh, could have been a lot better, though, without all the crap around it. Yeah. Like we've said, that's the frustration, isn't it? When you've had this card and you've had a good old time, I had a good time watching this, and then it really, all that shenanigans, that five or six minutes was just, uh, you've left a little bit of a little, little bit of a turd taste in me mouth. So, old man, I, I don't think you said what your match of the night was. I didn't. I didn't. So I am going to go New Day and Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. Very close run thing between that and Reigns and Big Show. Yeah. But Big Show is getting my MVP. Fair enough. He absolutely has to, because what a man. My MVP, it was Cesaro. Um, I just really enjoyed what he did in the match. Yeah. And I just think, again, you're right. It's just great. Yeah. He's just a really, really great wrestler. And very rarely doesn't show how good he is. Here he is in a nothing... Like when they got together, this was a nothing random tag team between two guys who were doing nothing, and they turned it into something that gave them the tag team titles and gave them a number of memorable matches. And I, that's not to do Tyson Kidd down. I just feel like Cesaro deserves a lot of credit for that just consistency and that being that consistency leading into probably being in the best match of the night. Yeah. Well, and also he, like you said, he he'd always do it. And why mm. why did what didn't they see in him? Don't know. So, man, what was your overall score out of 10 and your thoughts on the show? So, I just had a very, very good time watching this. Like we just talked about, I didn't enjoy the last five or six minutes in the main event. But outside of that, you've got the fun with the street fight. You've got an as good as it could be kiss me arse match. (laughs) Cracking little tag match. A decent but hamstrung Russian chain match. Again, probably as good as it could be, I think. Uh, lovely little bonus with Nikki Bella and Naomi. Roman Reigns a big show. Just a tremendous time. And then a decent but 
also hamstrung main event. So I'm gonna give oh, I don't, I'm gonna give this a seven. Yeah, I'm gonna give this a seven because without the shenanigans or so much shenanigans, this would have probably got an eight, I think. And they need to look in the mirror <laughs> and just consider that people are gonna rate this seven years later. <laughs> We've said this before. They've already got to think about it. Maybe they did. Maybe, Maybe they've they... been thinking that recently. Yeah, I was going to say, I think since the beginning of 2021, when the podcast started, they, they yeah. were definitely thinking that. But um, mm. yeah, right right now, not not so much. Not at this point, not so much. No. I'm going to give this a six. I think for me, everything floats around average. There's nothing that's like spectacular. There's nothing that's amazing. The tag team match is really good. The Roman Reigns Big Show match is really good. Everything else is either a tick above average or just completely average. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not a problem. You're right. I I felt the same way. It kind of breezed through. It was a really easy watch. It wasn't difficult in any way. It wasn't boring any time. The, the only time that it almost dragged a little bit was the gap between the main event and the Roman Reigns Big Show match mm-hmm. because they did have a, a protracted break between those two matches. But my abiding feeling of this was just the whole thing just lacked emotion of any kind so again i go back to that thing where we're talking about where the authority basically just ruined everything because nobody kind of felt special or important the only one who did at this time was daniel bryan and he at this point had become injured john cena still you know got his fans and whatnot but the thing where everybody's turned heel everybody's turned babyface, nobody's had any consistency in terms of the way their character acts around mm. the fans drained this show of any kind of emotion. There wasn't like anybody that was super being rooted for a lot, you know? And even when they were in John Cena, for example, or, or Roman Reigns, there was a huge amount of the crowd who didn't want them to win as well because they've all always got a mixed reaction. But John Cena's mixed reaction was a lot less pronounced than mm. any of his other kind of earlier stuff. So People cared less at this point about John Cena than they had done, you know, in the years previous. And by this point, as I say, Roman Reigns was definitely not what a lot of people wanted. But nobody was really going to cheer for the big show either because it's the big show. The way we approached those matches was the way the crowd have approached it, which was, oh, God, here we go. Set, settle down. Let's uh, let's get through this so we can get to the other side. Now, obviously, they did actually go better but overall the just the emotion wasn't there for anybody on the show just didn't feel like yeah. anyone was really cared about and that's the biggest problem for me and why none of the matches really went much beyond above average like there was nothing as i said great at all on the show there was mm. some good there was some good but nothing really great the very interesting angle that i i don't know yeah i think i just had a good time watching it i didn't think about it yeah. that way but it is a really really good point it's, it's a something. fine show. It's a perfectly yeah. acceptable show. And I think, again, if I put myself back in 2015, I'd have given this a four or three, I think, because yeah. it was just so consistent with everything that you saw every single week. Yeah. That distance has allowed me to look at it and go, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine. There's just nothing to get excited about or to get kind of your heart beating or any, you know, any kind of a emotional kind of weight behind anything. It's just all very kind of like, yeah, that was all right. Yeah. And then it's done. Which I think when they were churning out pay-per-views like they were, mm. I think that's probably what they wanted, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. And uh, that was all was likely to get as well with so many people. Yeah. And, and I would have definitely watched this. I, I was still working for WrestleTalk at the time mm. that this show was on. I would have definitely watched it. I was watching everything at that time. And I couldn't remember a thing about it before I started <laughs> watching it, which says it all. So that brings us to the end of this week's show. 
Um, and we've managed to get through it, old man, without we Matt have Matt, without Matt and his TNA lockdown 2009 one week late. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> twat is what I'm going to say. Yeah, not um, bad. Yeah. So all that leaves me to do, old man, is to thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much, Ben. Thank you to everyone for listening. The match has been, I know they had a little uh, dangle of the carrot with two people during a, a Royal Rumble show between uh, yourself, Tinky and Tommy. Yep. And then Matt came in as a late entrant, surprise entrant that year. But uh, <laughs> you can go back and listen to that. You don't need to remember it. All you need to do is to rate, review and remember Ken Patera. And much like the new day, old man has found a new twist on an old catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, this has been the Random Wrestling Review. We will be back next week, although I will not. Next week you is the not. first time I will be off the show and I will be putting the show in the hands of others. So that should be that should be an interesting one. I can't, I've got to be honest, I'm quite nervous, but I'm sure a great job will be done by all. Until then, take care.